1835, this country had a visitor from Italy. This man was filled with anxiety. He was exhausted. He hardly slept. He wouldn't eat. And he even avoided being with other people. So while he was here in this country, he decided that he would see a doctor about the situation. After examining him, the doctor realized that this man was in great physical shape. And so after spending a little bit more time with him, he came to the conclusion that the man was in need of a, a good time. The physician said that this would, uh, this would alleviate his depression. And so he told him of a circus that was in town and encouraged him to attend. He said there was a clown there whose name was Grimaldi. And night after night, Grimaldi had the, the attendants just rolling in the aisles. He said, you, you've got to go. You've got to see this. He's the funniest clown in the world. And he'll make you laugh. And this will cure your sadness. This will cure your anxiety, your depression. The man responded to the doctor's suggestion simply by saying, no. He can't help me. You see, I am Grimaldi. Playing the part of the clown did not alleviate his depression. It makes me wonder, just where do I, where do you, where do we go in those dark times of life? Today we're going to be spending some time with this quick reminder in Psalm 130. Eight verses, so one of the short psalms, packed with so much though. He begins in verse 1 by saying, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. The psalmist understood what it was to be in the depths. He understood what it was to be in that dark place, and he doesn't ignore it. I think so often we want to do that. We want to press these things down. We, we want to ignore them. And with the idea, eventually it'll get better. But if any of you have dealt with depression, dealt with anxiety, you know that it may go away for a little while, but often it's coming back. It becomes that frequent visitor that we know all too well. The last thing we need to do is just ignore it. And the psalmist doesn't do that. He acknowledges that this is a very real situation, not something to ignore. And so what does he do? Well, again, in verse 1, he calls to the Lord, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And perhaps he's in these depths because of sin. I say that because of verse 4. He says this, But... There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. There is forgiveness with you. Once had a young man get upset with me over talking about how, the, 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 just looking at the truth that God has forgiven us of anything in Christ. And he came up to me uh, quite upset insisting that there is, there's got to be more to this than just 
acceptance than just recognition of God's forgiveness in Christ. And as I began to remind him of what Scripture says and encourage him toward this truth, he he got quite upset with me and yelled, saying, Kelly, you have no idea what I have to deal with. You have no idea what I have done. You have no idea with the things that I have to deal with in my past and in my memory. And I remember him just walking off angry just before I told him this. No, brother. It's you who has no idea of the forgiveness of God found in Christ. He could not come to terms with this. And I'm sad to say that later on, the darkness and the depths of this anxiety or this depression overcame him to the point that he felt it better to take his life. And that's what he did. But Colossians 2 verses 13 to 14 say this, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is what is true, brothers and sisters, and this is what we need to identify with. This is truth, and we need to live from this truth and understand that this is true of me in Christ. I have been forgiven. He has taken this away. Jesus has done away with this, and this is what we need to live from. This is what is true of you if you have placed your faith in Christ. And we see in verses 5 to 8 that there is both necessity and great reward, a preciousness to wait for the Lord. In verses 5 to 8, it reads like this, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem or ransom Israel from all his iniquities. We find a couple of words here repeated in these verses 5 to 8. And repetition equals emphasis. So what is being emphasized? The two words, waiting, and the second, hope. We find the word waiting in verses 5 and 6, to wait. And sometimes as believers, I think we consider that maybe a cuss word. (laughs) You know, because we hate the word. We hate the idea of waiting But oh my goodness, what is this? It's not waiting for our way. It's waiting for the Lord. And to do so with the second word that's used in verses 5 to 7. Hope. Waiting with hope. And the word there has been translated wait 
expectantly. You can count on it. There is certain redemption for us, according to verse 8. There is a certain ransom, certain, certain, for sure, to be counted on. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 reads like this, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom, a redeemer for all. The testimony given at the proper time. He is our ransom. He is our redeemer. He's the one to go to. Arlene and I have two daughters. They're wonderful kids. They have grown up to be just incredible, challenging young women. And we are very blessed by them. When they were small children from time to time, we had to discipline them. And on occasion, not all the time, but on occasion, that discipline required spanking. Never something that was fun. Never something I planned on or looked forward to. But sometimes necessary. Something that was consistent in that time. And I believe something that is true, even, of how the Lord deals with us. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, we read this, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and within the context, scourgings, and we respected them. Shall we not much more, rather, be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment, seems not to be joyful. And again, within the context, the scourgings certainly would not be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about discipline. The difference the difference comes from the heart of the one administering the discipline. Is it of love or selfishness? Every time we came to a point where it was necessary to discipline with spanking, something interesting happened. Both of my daughters, without any instruction from us as parents, would consistently turn around after their spanking and crawl back into my lap 
and lay their head on my shoulder. Why was that? Well, one day after telling this illustration, which I have used for years, one of my daughters came up to me and she said, Dad, do you know why we did that? A little taken back, I looked at her and I said, No, sweetheart, why? And she simply said, Because I didn't know what else to do. In other words, she knew me. She knew that the one who had disciplined was the same one that loved her. Therefore, the discipline was from love. Not to beat down, but to correct, but to encourage. And with great hope, with great expectation, she would crawl back into my lap. She would call out to me with this great expectation, this great hope of being redeemed, of being ransomed. This is for you in Christ. The one who disciplines us is the one who is our ransom. He is the one to go to. There is no other. He is the Redeemer. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus. No language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of His presence with me doth continually dwell. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of Him all the day long. I sing, for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. I know I shall see in His beauty the King in whose way I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me song in the night. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, His child, and forever I am. This has been a quick reminder of the His Hill podcast. Our regular episodes will be posted every Thursday. This week I have three of our faculty sitting down with me, and together we will share some verses of Scripture that have been an encouragement to us. So make sure to join us for that. If you need to get in touch with me, please do so. My email is kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, at hishill.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.